Douglas Goldstein, Lock E. Putris. Douglas Goldstein, E-Futurist, Health Innovation Media. We're in the Conversa booth in the lower level, and the exhibit number is 11334. And I'm here with Dr. Phil Marshall, a leading physician expert in life focused on health and how we're going to make people healthier. And uh, Conversa is doing some revolutionary things, and here we are uh, talking to you about the digital checkup. And other, other things, things that Converse is doing to make a difference in my life as it relates to health and the other things that I'm doing to have uh, quality and outcomes and anything that happens to me. Well, we're excited to have you here, um, the health innovation media folks here at the Conversa booth. Um, as you mentioned, we're here um, in the exhibit hall, which is just now open. Uh, it'll be open for the next few days. Um, and we couldn't be more excited to be part of the energy in uh, this exhibit hall and at this conference. I think they said it's, it's likely to be one of the largest, if not the largest hymns. Um, and I'll tell you what, the exhibit hall doesn't uh, disappoint at all. And, uh, and we are, are pleased to have upped our game a bit at Conversa um, as making patients an equal partner in their care has become more and more important to providers, health systems, and health plans, especially uh, with the move towards value-based care. It's important to know how patients are really doing between visits, and that's what we focus on. And so there's a lot of energy and excitement about what we do and what similar companies are doing and how it complements the other big boys that are upstairs, uh, Epic and Sooner and Tesson and the like. So um, happy to be with you and happy to have you here in our humble abode. I know you're fully integrated to the workflow and the other processes, but what exactly from the person and the patient's point of view is the digital digital checkup? Well, from a patient um, perspective, it's really an extension of the relationship that they already have with their care provider. Um, And so it's simple digital automated but very personalized outreach that is an automated conversation. Um, And when you see it, actually, it is literally a conversation that they're interacting with digitally to ask them how they're doing, whether it's about their diabetes and blood sugar control. It could be if they're a heart failure patient that's just been discharged. It could be um, how they're faring with their breathing. If it's a hip or knee replacement patient that is preparing for or recovering from a joint replacement um, then uh, we're asking them about their recovery, making sure that they're not having any complications. But from the patient perspective, it's really it's a digital extension of that relationship that they already have. From the provider perspective, from the health system perspective, it's actually population health. It's care management, but on So I'm looking down the booth, which is uh, much larger than last year, and I'm seeing a lot of people and other health executives looking at that conversation going on in other parts of the booth. So that's quite exciting. And uh, we're in one one. 334 on the lower level at the Conversa booth. Yeah, so, that's right. And hopefully a lot of people will 
will stop by and, and say hello. We've got a lot of our team members here. All of our executive team is here um, as well. Um, and so they're likely to run into one of us. Well, and I, I know Dr. Danny Sands is here, and it's just a great team that you have. But I, I want to focus in on, on how it's really an extension of uh, the doctor's practice and really helps the doctor be more efficient and effective and personal. Well, you know, you may know right now that if a physician and their care team want to know how patients are doing after they've been discharged from the hospital uh, or maybe um, in control of a chronic disease, they have to get on the telephone to call them. And so right now, it's very hit and miss. They're focused on those people that they already know are train wrecks, which means that they're focused only on that 5% of patients that are already known to have a problem. Uh, And so... We need to make sure that we help them to reach out to a much broader population of patients to really catch those patients earlier that are starting to have trouble. And it's not by adding more telephone calls. It really has to be done digitally. Reserving the telephone call and the office visits for those people who actually need it. So it helps them be more efficient, more effective in, in delivering proactive care. So you're broadening into the whole group of people that that are really what we consider people with multiple conditions, chronic care management, 20, 30 percent maybe of their population. And, and how is it personal in a way that's different from some of the other things we might be seeing around the hands show floor? Well, you know, a lot of people talk about um, personalized communication to the individual, but we're very unique in being able to take all of that clinical history data, a person's comorbidities, their medication history, their lab test result history, their encounter history, and making sure that that conversation is always dynamically shifting based on that information. You're going to say something and ask something different of a person who has diabetes with their high, high blood pressure than somebody who has high blood pressure alone. Somebody who's recovering from joint replacement surgery and they happen to have a history of COPD or asthma, you're going to ask different questions. Um, if the person's had an increase in pain the last couple of times you checked in, you're going to ask them about their pain uh, the fourth time in, whereas you might not ask that somebody else. So while you might take for granted the idea of a profile, of a longitudinal clinical history and personalizing that experience, it's actually hard to do, and we're very proud to actually be doing that. So, so how do you get into the workflow to uh, help that joint replacement patient that may be a diabetic or suffering from other conditions? How are you integrated to the workflow in a way that's different and smarter uh, with how you're then helping extend that doctor-patient relationship to anywhere the person might be? Well, let me just say, first off, that um, there are a lot of patient engagement efforts that are really happening over on the side. They're happening in a silo. Um, it just happens. Give them the leaflet. Send them the HealthWise article. It's our belief. It's our firm belief that patient engagement and making patients an equal partner in their care is not possible unless it's a true extension of the clinical and care management workflow. It has to be a part of the way you practice medicine. It can't happen on the side. So what we've done is we've made sure that we're very judicious in reaching out in just the right way and asking just the right questions that the care team needs to know the answers to and do the hard work of integrating that back in to the clinical workflow. And we've done it many times now, and I can tell you there is no substitute for patient engagement and basically relationship management being brought right back into that core of that relationship. So it, it sounds like you might have a learning engine built into your solution that, that evolves based on different people. Well, a person's profile is always changing based on their status. 
and their encounters with the healthcare system, and so too does the digital checkup. So you're right about that. That's that's fabulous. Um, so what's down the future? You have more and more health systems jumping on the conversive bandwagon. And uh, what does the product roadmap look and service roadmap and life roadmap look going forward? Well, we're, we're proud to be an early standard bearer in this emerging space. Whether you call it patient relationship management, whether you call it patient engagement, whether you call it um, collaborative care management, um, we're really happy to be part of that early set of companies that's really blazing the trail. And uh, and so what does the future hold? The future holds just really proving this out with more providers, more health systems, and more importantly, more patients um, to make sure that everybody understands what we already understand at Conversa and that there is real power in understanding how patients are doing between visits. So that's true personalization because you're establishing a conversation that's unique to an individual. So it really ties into your whole name and philosophy of the company and the team and the evolution of the service. There was a little bit of design behind all of that. That's right. So, so um, the truth is that, that there really is no substitute for the relationship that a person has with their doctor. And all this does is extend that. Um, it really is in the voice and, um, and with the logic of the physician, as if the physician were asking those same questions of you. That's that's great. Uh, so, what do you think about HIMSS in terms of uh, where technology is evolving and the implications for? I mean, I mean, we're humans and we're learning to deal with all these different technologies. So, how do we tailor it to the needs of the individual? Well, I think that at least what I've seen so far, I haven't had real chance to go throughout the whole floor, which takes a long time, by the way. <laughs> Um, but HIMSS is, as I think it's always been, and that is a real juxtaposition of two things. One is established players, right, that are just continuing to either preserve or expand their footprint. The EHR industry is a great example of that and the, and the entrenched players there. But that's juxtaposed against real innovators in, in the market that are doing really innovative things. And I think as you, um, as you see this major trend towards value-based care and the need to know how patients are doing between visits, the patient being an equal part of, of, of the care process is now going to really be what we feel is a tidal wave of change um, for, uh, for technology companies and working with whom, um, and we're beginning to see that shift. So I think the innovations um, are really going to be, uh, be uh, taking a front seat at the, uh, at the conference this year. You know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing a lot of tailoring technologies to the different health literacies and uh, interests and, and preferences of, let's say, seniors or 75-year-olds or, or younger disadvantaged population. So I've seen a lot of tailoring and personalization of the technology throughout the, the efforts here. Well, you know what's interesting about that? We've actually learned um, something that I think is really um, quite important, and I'll share that with your audience here today. Um, and that is personalization to a person's own needs and issues and barriers, concerns, is very, very important. But when it comes to literacy, when it comes to simplicity, simple language, clear language, quick language, get to the point quickly. I don't care whether you're talking with an 85-year-old or a 15-year-old, there is no tolerance um, for unnecessary language and questions. So that simplicity doesn't have to necessarily change between those populations. Just make sure that you're delivering it as absolutely quickly and simply as possible. And that's, that's what we do. We try to remove all of those unnecessary barriers. No additional login. No need to download a blast. Um, make, the, make the language very simple. Remove those barriers. All right. All right. 
Dr. Dr. Marshall, thank you. Here we are at Health Innovation Media, Conversa, booth 11334, lower level of M60E. Oh, we're going to take a break now, and we'll be back when the next, next guest arrives. Happy to be with you all. Thanks for having me. Thanks. No close talking. Okay. I'm done. Meshkin. 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 Yeah. 
Alex, Alex Meshkin, CEO of Flow Health, founder too, right? Yes. <laughs> Tim 16, live from Las Vegas. We're broadcasting. We're broadcasting from the Conversa booth, 11334, lower level. I have Alex Meshkin, Flow Health. And you're doing some really interesting things in aggregating, integrating my health data from all these disparate sources, right? Can you tell me what exactly Flow Health is fixing? Yeah, so we like to call our platform the operating system for value-based care. So what does that really mean? It's connecting providers, payers, and the consumer all around a single health record that follows the patient wherever they go to receive care. You know, our core business is solving problems from the payer perspective. So you have utilization management, care management, care coordination issues that are being driven by the payer and connecting all the providers to deliver higher quality coordinated care. It, it sounds like you're an inter- interoperability solution, but I thought Epic was doing all that interoperability. <laughs> so absolutely, that's kind of the core problem that we have to solve is interoperability. So we have to identify a single patient record across all the different providers that are sharing information with us. So we use machine learning to solve this problem. It goes way beyond traditional approaches that are rules-based engines. So as we get smarter and larger and we have the benefit of very large health plans that are working with us, we're able to very accurately identify patients, integrate data into a single health record, and share it across all different EMRs. You know, Epic has made tremendous progress in sharing data between Epic um, Insolve. But we're able to share data from Epic to Athena Health to Cerner, Practice Engine, you name it, all from the single platform. And then even new consumer apps are able to interface with our APIs, which are, which are real, available today, inspired by Fire, but, but you know, are our own. They've been modeled after Facebook Graph APIs. So you're lighting the world on with Fire, and that's the uh, open source interface that pulls data out of these disparate systems, correct? And so FIRE is more of a standard of how data should be modeled, and it allows us to very quickly map traditional HL7 feeds from Epic and Cerner into a more of a modern data structure. And now, how long has Flow Health been around, and where is this implemented? So we started four years ago, um, where we were focused mostly on secure collaboration between providers. Our newer platform has just been in the market for about a year. Um, we're live across the state of Florida with one of the largest health plans in the nation. We're rolling out across California and Georgia right now. Um, we cover 1.2 million covered lives today. We'll be at about 6 million covered lives in the next 60 days. And we expect to be nationwide with one of the largest health plans next year, covering about 40 million covered lives. Well, those are uh, big plans. And so who actually is bringing you in to fix this problem? Is it the health plans, the health systems, the State government, who is it? So, so it's the health plan. Um, and as we move to value-based care, there's more collaboration, whether joint ventures, shared risk, capitation agreements. And so the, the payer brings us to that conversation, and, and the provider ultimately joins. So how do people reach out and find out more about Flow Health? I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Alex at flowhealth.com. Uh, Alex, Alex Meshkin on Twitter. Um Feel free to email uh, or send me a tweet. Can you walk me through exactly how someone is implementing the process of implementing Flow Health in one of these? You have 600,000 people coming on in the next 60 days, as I recall. So how does some, how, what is the process involved with actually rolling you out? 
so on the on the payer side, it's really an enterprise relationship integration on the back end. Um, take advantage of our APIs. Then providers, we already have integrations with most of the major EMRs. So it's very quick to turn it on, basically have to validate data mapping. Um, if it's a cloud-based vendor like Athena, click on a link and, you know, we're on and off and running. Um, and then we have ready-to-use mobile apps that are available for providers that can be downloaded from the App Store, our enterprise patient check-in app that we send an iPad app that replaces uh, the medical clipboard. And so they will sign up for providers and it's an enterprise payment with uh, payers. So, do you have bi-directional data flow in and out of Epic? Yes. And could you explain how that works and how long that's been in place? So, we're able to take advantage of traditional HL7 feeds um, that are in place with Epic, and then we're also able to do uh, CDA exchange bi-directionally. Uh, that's great. And so... What do you think about the other competitive solutions that are around you? How do you differentiate the key differentiating points from the interoperability solutions from uh, other players? So, so our fundamental uniqueness of our platform is it's designed like a social network. So each person has a single identity on our platform. We do the patient matching. You have one, one identity, one record. Each provider has a single identity as well as each organization. So as the data flows across our platform, we're integrated into a health record. Most interoperability solutions are either leaving the health data as documents or they're not even persisting the data as they move it to JSON. And we're actually mapping that data into our data structure, which we like to refer to as a big data architecture, Cassandra on the back end, lots of data manipulation with machine learning. And all that data becomes available through a single API that's integrated. It's not just transporting it, moving it from HL7 to JSON. So... The data sets that we have right now on my uh, medical information are one, but now we're adding information from wearables, uh, perhaps environmental data sets, and more importantly, very big data sets around the omics, precision medicine, my genomics, my proteomics, uh, my microbiome. How is your system handling those sorts of very, very large data sets at this point in time? So we're not doing anything with genomics today, but we do do a lot with consumer health. But the way our, our platform is architected and our data store gives us a lot of flexibility to very quickly bring these data uh, sets onto market very quickly. So if we have a customer that wants to integrate that data, we can model it, we can put it together, and be up and running in you know, under a month. Well, you might be uh, underestimating the time if you haven't dove into the complexity of the omics data sets. Well, um, assuming that the clinical expertise is there, we have obviously clinical expertise on our side. The providers bring a lot of expertise to us, but the pure technology uh, implementation is very quick for us. So what, what are the biggest barriers to interoperability that you're seeing across the system? I mean, there's certainly been resistance from certain players in the field and the different standards. Do you think those, those have been overcome and uh, there's no more hurdles ahead of us? Or what are these barriers to interoperability that we're still trying to address? So interoperability is a really loaded word. If we think of it in two different buckets, you have pulling data out of existing systems, and then you have putting data back into the system. So the first part is getting the data out. Most of those problems have been solved. The data mapping exercise, a lot of, a lot of time spent um, by our company, other companies that we've been able to leverage. And so that problem for the most part is solved. And so we're able to bring data from any system, integrate it into a single health record. But the big problem is putting data back into EHR. 
And that's yeah. not a interoperability problem. It's a misnomer in the industry, and the industry is doing itself a disservice by not actually addressing the real problem. It's a technology architecture problem. These systems were never built to be integrated. Right. And so you can't just add on a fire API and believe that you have a modern system. You know, a platform like Flow Health is designed like you know, a major consumer product or Salesforce.com, modern solutions that have a sa- the same API that is shared with third parties is used internally. And that's what's unique about our platform and non-healthcare systems. And the existing healthcare systems are not going to get there in the next decade. Because there's a rewrite. And so client servers solutions like Epic and Cerner, they're way, way, way behind. And unless you move to a cloud-based solution, use modern tech, you're not going to have that seamless ability to exchange data. Well, we've just invested billions of dollars in automating um, EHRs with 1990 well, technology, so the whole migration to the cloud has certainly security uh, implications. But if you could comment on the security systems, security is the number one thing on the forefront of every CIO's head that I've talked to in on the health plan side and the hospital side. So can you zero in on why your system's secure and they're not going to run risks in working with Flow Health because of the security issue? So, um, absolutely. I mean, the benefits of the cloud are huge from a security standpoint. So, a company like ours, we run on Amazon Web Services. So, we have the benefit of all of Amazon's expertise running in virtual private cloud, and then we're able to solve the problems one time. And so, human policies, technology, we solve that security problems. We don't have to, each vendor, each hospital doesn't have to implement its own security to control the system. And that's one of the big concerns when you think about ransomware that's happened in, you know, L.A. with a hacker taking over a system and all these other systems. There's so many pieces of failure when you have an on-site deployment that doesn't exist in the cloud. Okay. We're, uh, Alex, we're going to take a pause for about five minutes. We're experiencing an audio problem because... I'm being so articulate, but we're going to wrap up this interview with you, Flow Health, and you're making a big difference in the interoperability challenge, and you've got 1.2 million covered lives, and are you in the exhibit hall? Which we are not. Um, we presented at the Next Venture, year. Venture Forum, and we got, we're one of the four finalists and presenting again tomorrow. Hey! <laughs> Hey, one of the fi- four finalists at the Venture Forum yesterday, uh, Monday at him 16 and that's Flow Health, Flow Health with Alex, the CEO, and we'll be back in a few minutes. Thank you. Blog Talk Radio, live, him 16 Health Innovation Media. Thank you. Sorry about that. I looked over.
quick test. Are we back and ready to go? Tell me this. We're definitely looking forward to it as Doug Goldstein joins me here in the Health Innovation are, Media booth. But, but not, now can we do the closed talk in here uh, or should I lean back? What, what do you think? What's the story? Look at the the throngs of people cruising by Converse's booth 11334 on the lower level. Hymns 16 live. Health Innovation Media with my colleagues, Fred Goldstein and Greg Masters and the Samsung guy walking by right now. So what do you think so far? The conference has been kind of crazy. It's huge. I haven't had much of a chance to walk around. But I think totally the most important people in healthcare are here. Thank you. Absolutely the most important people in healthcare are here. This is some of the greatest stuff you've ever seen in terms of some of these booths. They're huge. And, and, and I'm not getting my hair messed up now either. That's really fabulous. So talk a little bit about the audio so uh, there, there's a world famous venture capitalist, Matt Herman, walking by. Uh, I know, I've heard the Health Innovation Media. Company. Wow, well, which Health Innovation Media or Conversa? Conversa, yeah. good group. You got to go talk to them. They're doing some great stuff. Do you know? Do you know those guys? So what we like to do is we get back to our show here at Health Innovation Media from the Conversa Health booth is apologize for the difficulties we've had with the audio. We think we've gotten that figured out. And uh, as you know, this is a very busy conference, so there are a lot of people walking by. So you always have a little bit of background noise, but we're really excited to be here. It's been an incredible morning. Uh, Actually, Greg got in on Sunday, and I came in yesterday flying in from the east and west coast. We came together here in Las Vegas, had quite the event last night at his Takapalooza. It was rather incredible to watch Jonathan Bush come out as the Donald Trump. 
and give us uh, some insights from the Donald on the health IT, etc. But now we're gearing up for the rest of the show the, over the next three days. We'll be broadcasting from 11 to 2 o'clock every day here. And we've set up some incredible interviews with some really top-notch guests. We're very excited about that. And uh, we'll be bringing that to you as well as some of the insights we gather from the conference, as well as from the various vendors we see here in, the, in this incredibly gigantic exhibit hall. And this is only one of, what, three floors of exhibit halls, Doug? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Two-floor exhibit hall, and that was Matt Herman who heads up the Ascension Venture Fund, and we just uh, had a chance to introduce him to the Conversa executives, but he he had his team here earlier, so uh, it's uh, it's funny. He was doing a maybe he was doing a quality check on his uh, his uh, due diligence team. Due diligence efforts. That's exactly right. So what you find here at Hims, which is really amazing, is there are so many people. As you walk around, you just run into folks you haven't seen in a while, some of your good friends, and you also have the opportunity, obviously, for some great networking. Um, and we're using that to try to bring you the best guests we can here on Health Innovation Media so you can get a better feel for what's coming out, what works, and what doesn't. We hope to provide you with some unique insights. This live studio happening at the Conversa booth 11334 on the lower level is just uh you know, you've got leading venture capitalists. Ascension Health was in Vivify Health. Uh, they were in uh, Body Media early. Wow. And there was that big exit on Body Media. So uh, Matt's done an excellent job. I think he's on his third fund with Ascension over the last uh, 12 years or so. So uh, it's a really unbelievable track record he's established uh, with that venture fund, being on the leading edge of, of health innovation as it relates to people's life and health and making them happier, and improving outcomes along the way. There we go. We're all shooting for the triple aim here. It'll be interesting to see which companies actually can bring in products that are not just additive, but actually remove some of the costs while improving the quality. And we're looking specifically for those. If you didn't get a chance to see uh, my blog post I put up around population health up on uh, LinkedIn as well as uh, accountablehealth.wordpress.com, I was discussing what I'm looking for specifically here in the uh health IT space, how it relates to population health and fits within it, and are we actually going to find some vendors here who take it to that next level? Have you seen anything yet or talked to anyone yet, Doug, from that respect? See you, Mr. Herman. Keep up the good work on that venture fund. So uh, there, it's just a live studio here at uh, HIM uh, 2016. So we're going back in time. We did some interviews with the Intel executives yesterday, Health Innovation Media, and uh, Eric Dishman who was on the forefront of interactive care when the web first came out. I don't know if you remember the Internet Health Days. They had Internet Intel Health Days back oh, yeah. at, the, at the turn of the web, right? So the same issues we were dealing with when people learned how to use the web, we're dealing with with people learning how to interact over their mobile phone, and everybody's different. And we're in the era of customer science and hyper-personalization. And... Uh, well, healthcare, but not with Milky Ways and other consumer no, products. When you, when you bring it from the retail and consumer side, yes, there's a ton of expertise. How we apply that to healthcare, I think, is still being I mean, figured out. We still out. talk about engaging patients. No, you build a relationship and you have interaction. It's not about driving engagement. You can't drive engagement. All you can do is hope to connect with somebody, build a relationship, and interact with them over time. Right. The industry is whacked with using terms like engagement. I'm sorry, that's my opinion. Well, and you heard it live too. here at Blog Talk Radio and <laughs> Health Innovation Media. 
so if we're if we're not talking about engagement, which is obviously one of the big buzzwords, I think it was on his talk of Palooza last night. One of the top five overrated buzzwords used in uh, in uh, health IT today um, was engagement. What do we need to be talking about? You, you mentioned a little bit about establishing relationships. Health is not about health, and healthcare is not about healthcare. This is about my life. So when these solutions are actually working, like Converse's digital checkup, and they're establishing a relationship with me, they're improving my happiness and my quality of life. So I think the more operative word, we move from uh, hospitals to health systems, but health systems are still reactive. Right. And I think they're really life systems because these interventions are really and solutions are really designed to make me happier and heal me. And it's not about health. It's about life, in my view. And I think you, you bring up it's a really important point, word. which is if you're thinking about a life system, how do you create that integration into a person's life? So without it being intrusive, inappropriate, not not generating something to be done, you know, and really make it that, which is which is all about establishing a relationship. So they have a relationship with an individual or a product or a company that they then integrate into their daily affairs. And uh, hopefully we'll start seeing some of that and get some, uh, some folks in there talking about it. It starts with the word trust. Who do, they, who do people tend to trust? And you know what? It tends to be their doctor or their nurse or their friend or their family member. So you really have to the solutions work because there's a fundamental trust. People trust their doctors. They trust their hospitals. Other players, like not, I don't have some of my best friends work for health plans and life sciences pharmaceutical companies, but they just have a lower trust profile for whatever sets of reasons, right or wrong. Not that they deserve a low trust because everybody's trying to do what's right by people, I think, in this industry. So how do you leverage the systems that are being discussed here or built here as trust enablers? Well, it, it starts one system at a time. I mean, it, people have to have the track record. They have to build those relationships with people and have people vote with their experiences and their interactions. Mm -hmm. So can people, for example, I'm thinking about as, as we're talking about like Conversa Health with their integrated system, um, I guess it's a matter of getting individuals to initially trust those means of communications as a way for them to then further integrate with those systems and improve their health and better interact with the health system. Is that well, sort of what we're right. talking about? So when some of these companies started in 2009, they were ahead of the, look, people are reinventing their, our lives every day by, through mobile devices, tablets, no matter what the age group. And so what, what we're experiencing now is probably a faster uptake on many parts of the population. We said, oh, they're not technology literate because they've learned to use these things for other parts of our life, whether it's texting grandkids. So now to then go from texting my grandkids to interacting with my doctor through these devices, people are dealing with, people who are 65, 70 years old are dealing with five, six years of experience of using these tools for other parts of their lives. Right, they've made, you know, it's interesting if you think about it, the, 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 the mobile technology we have in our hands now has become so easy to use. If it's one button to create a FaceTime with somebody else, that's sort of how right. we have to look at healthcare. It's how do we create that where it's just a natural deal to interact with your doctor or to get your script filled 
or all of the things we want people to do, get out and exercise, that it just becomes ingrained because it's easy. It's a one push. It's not hunting around trying to figure out what to do. Well, and the next wave of where we're going is anticipatory health care where there's so much data. We're walking data clouds, right? We're generating data every day. It's going to my Fitbit. It's going to my phone. It's, it's all going to Google. My consumer. <laughs> well, right. People should not be concerned about NSA. They should be concerned about the Google building the profile. So uh, spread your search. My, my, my tagline is spread your searches around. <laughs> Bing it sometimes and Yahoo it sometimes. Spread your search around. Make it more complex for people building those profiles for you. But we are what you are the data you consume, and we are walking data clouds. And we can know people before they, as well as they know themselves, or maybe even better than themselves. So, obviously, that's this, customer this is, science. This has been done on the consumer side of the, of the world for Correct. a while. But, are, you know, as I talked about in my blog post, are we, I'm waiting to see somebody show me something that relevantly real time hits me with what I need to do versus I love trackers. I wear them all. The wearables, the Google Glass, but they're nothing but trackers. And I want that two-way communication with the appropriate message for me, which is probably a different than the appropriate message for you, and that, that isn't the right time and everything to suddenly say, bam, oh, you're right, I need to do that, or yeah, I did fill that script. So how close are we? I haven't seen it yet. Everybody talks about it. We're personalizing. Well, you know, uh, William Gibson said the future's already arrived. It's just not uh, evenly distributed. So I think there are some small segments that have accepted some of this. And, and wearables are just the first step. When we start looking at um, invisibles or ingestibles, the devices will be inside us, you know, nano drones uh, impacting cancer going in. And, you know, every cell in our body has a, an eat-me cell. So the macrophages come in and they eat my my cancer cells have turned have, cancer cells have figured out how to turn off the eat me Let signal. Let me ask you, so and, what and did science, you call that now? It's an eat me cell. It's an we'll eat me leave signal. That alone. It's, no, no, it's an eat me <laughs> signal. Just like Pac-Man. No, I, I was listening to a, a precision medicine conference. I was hearing a leading researcher at Stanford talk about, and he spun out a company called Forty Seven. That every cell in our body has a signal that says eat me or don't eat me. And so, cancer cells are really good at turning that off, which is right. why they propagate, why they pro and we can't stimulate our own bodies to react against those cancer cells. But he's looked at the science across many different types of cancer, how to turn that back on. So our own bodies eat our cancer. Right, I understand. And then using stem cells to regenerate that. This stuff is not everywhere, but it's being demonstrated in some of the centers in the country. Now, now let me ask you this, though. So... I hear all these great solutions. We're moving to precision medicine, which obviously we'll get to in a second. You're bailiwick, an area you're really deep into. But is it always an outside influence to me? It's a pill. It's an injection. It's an, in, it's an, in, it's an implantable. It's an embraceable. It's a wearable. When is it about me? I mean, at some point it's about me changing my behavior, right? Or are we just going to expect, instead of asking for the next no. pill, give me the next shot of some... The, stem cell research. The stuff. unfortunate thing, this has nothing to do with healthcare. It has to do with our culture and the values that this country has. And it's sort of like fix me, silver bullets, and and people have been conditioned over their lifetime to expect instant fixes. You know, take take this food course and you lose thirty pounds. I mean, we have not taken responsibility. And what you're talking about is us taking responsibility for our lives. But we have 
the quantified so, self movement that is taking responsibility. Oh, a small group, you know, and and, and twenty percent, yeah. essentially twenty percent so of the population. It's funny because I don't know if you saw one of my tweets where I put up that picture from Wally with the oh, huge right. people with their I giant soft that. drink, you know, moving around in these mobile lifters. And is that it? Did we become that as a corpus? as a body, but yet we have all these things that keep us alive as we sit in the we, chair you know, and never enjoy the rest of life? Is I that, don't know. Or do we, we, or do we meld the two together right. to create something that allows us to do it all? Look, we live in a consumer culture. Look, we even call people we serve consumers, and now we get upset when they consume too much. But every month, right? What month is coming? What's Valentine's Day? What month? What's the big holiday? And what's associated with Valentine's Day in February? Chocolate. Chocolate. But now we're into March. What's the big March holiday? St. Patrick's Day? March Madness? Are you telling me beer? Green beer. Green beer. Look, we're a consumption society. We've trained people to consume. And now we're trying to reverse those messages. It's going to take decades and, and generations. But I think the quantified self movement and the mindfulness, our friend Paolo Machado, the Claritas Mind Scientist, is in this area of mindfulness yoga. We have these segments, micro-segments within the culture that is beginning to take these concepts of mindfulness, awareness, and apply it. Great. And for the 80% of the rest of us? Drones. Micro-drones. Micro-drones. We're we're going to send them and they'll be inhaled to the brain and change the signals in your brain to non-consumers through micro-drones running drone that leads you down the path at a good clip to the bakery and you run to your cake follow the drone there we go we'll invent that as our next company so i mean a drone exercise go back to your question we live in a consumer culture we need to think about people as citizens with responsibility right there's an example right there he is with the danish and pastry but we yes. don't say who it is. So Walking right by the booth and onwards to another company. Like you walk through here and you'll see candy in booths. You won't see apples and, and tangerines. So consumer culture. I mean, you have to, we have to, we have to shift. And I think it's happening. Just like when I grew up as a kid, we didn't have yogurt on the shelf. Now we have yogurt, but it has tons of sugar in it. Try to find... A, a non-sugared yogurt in your grocery store now. But we need to move from a consumer culture to a sustainability culture. We need to think of us as sustainers. So where does all of this stuff fit in sustainability? Does it actually create something that's going to be sustainable? You think? Are we moving that direction? Look, we get- yes, I, I think so because the more data I have about myself that I can regulate begins thinking about sustainability. And we clearly have a conservation movement has been around for decades, Teddy Roosevelt. We have elements of the sustainability culture around us and with us. I believe your next interview is just about here. So we'll go ahead and turn this one off, and we'll turn you over to your next guest. Right. Thank you so much, Doug. So here we are at Health Innovation Media, HIM 16. We've got Dr. Soon from Nan Health about to join us in the booth. Actually, it's a live open-air booth in the Conversa area in the lower exhibit hall, 11334. And uh, we have one of the leading innovators in healthcare, and uh, we'll be 
We'll be right back with you in a minute. Yeah, we're we're just it's a Yeti, and we're just uh, we're just gonna have a conversation like sure. we were out in the hallway. Sure, sure. We're we're live. Him sixteen health innovation media, Conversa booth one one three three four, and I have Dr. Soon Sion. Now I I have to go back five or six years, maybe even seven. You gave a keynote at the National Library of Medicine conference, and you were speaking about. My body area network, my electrical signals around my body, broadcasting out my physiological symbols, signals to my mobile phone and then to my care team. Now, you're, you founded and you're leading a company called Nat Health today, and you're doing some unbelievable things. So what I'd like to do is talk about what you're doing in the digital connectivity area, and then you're on the forefront of doing some very interesting things that I'm hearing through the grapevine around precision medicine. And I'm also doing a lot of work with the Nova Health System, which has launched the Nova Center for Personalized Health, and we have Nova's Translational Medicine Institute, which is on the on the former campus of ExxonMobil, right Hello. on the Washington Beltway. Right. So we're we're gonna we're gonna start on the digital side of the solution and move into the precision medicine through this uh, about 15 minute talk. Does that work for you? That'd be great. That'd be. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us no, here. You're welcome. And uh, Nan Health. So t- talking about that talk that I gave at the uh, National Library of Medicine, and then the talk before that I gave also at the Institute of Medicine, where, you know, I think people looked at me sort of, uh, sort of <laughs> a little crazy, right? <laughs> talking about, I coined the term the human signal engine, that we ask nothing else but, you know, waves, radio waves and wave signals that we could capture and put into the digital environment. And I was very serious, and that's exactly what Nant Health is. You'll see our booth over there. This year, we'll have captured 80 billion vital signs. 80 wow. billion vital signs. 80 billion vital signs. With which we've taken 32,000 medical devices, um, whether you're in a hospital or home, and written what you call APIs to it, so we can actually take the analog signal and transmit the data directly from the machine into the electronic medical record. We just launched that now in Singapore, the thing called Vitals Connects, where the nurses now move their blood pressure machines around, take the blood pressure of the patient. The result goes right into the machine, right into the electronic medical record, no recording by the nurse. Unbelievable. 32, you said 32,000 connections? Correct. So there's so many medical devices out there. This HIMSS uh, um, conference epitomizes that. When I always talk right. about these medical bridges to nowhere. <laughs> so. The whole concept there was 
way I'm going with the Moonshot program is, and, and you see this, this hymns now, I'm pleased to see, every other booth says the word precision medicine, <laughs> right? Uh, three years ago, it was population health medicine. Right. But my view of population health measurement, management and precision health care is to monitor the patient at the speed of their biological clock, right? So think yeah. about that. I, I am famous. The speed of my biological clock, I'm, I'm with right. you. Imagine you have cancer and need to monitor the patient at the speed of the biological clock of that cancer cell as it's changing over time. I'm with you. Now, I, I, I was listening to a, a keynote at the Precision Medicine Conference in Stanford where That's every right. cell has a signal. I, I think I'm allergic to your plants. No, it's Wi-Fi. We're all allergic to Wi-Fi. <laughs> So every cancer cell has, uh, uh, it's figured out how to turn off the eat me signal. Yeah, as one of the ways to propagate and stay in my body. It's, it's, it's much more complex than that, but that's one of the signals. So the, uh, the work you're doing in cancer, and uh, I'm very familiar with, with Dr. Trump at the Inova Shire Cancer Institute, and that he's growing and building there. So continue with the, the cancer moonshot uh, discussion that you're doing in terms of aggregating data. Let me just get over yeah, this. Yeah, sure, Let me just sure. get over this. Uh, do you have some water? Do you have some? <laughs> water? Do you have some, do you have my, do you have some water? What happened to my... my so, uh, <laughs> Nan Health is on the web, and uh, you, you, what, you're upstairs in the exhibit hall, I believe? Yeah, so we're up, up there... Uh, What's the number of the booth? I have no idea. 5554 Nan Health in the uh, upper exhibit hall at HIM 16. And now we're uh, back after. I, I think I'm allergic to Wi Fi. I don't know if there's any physiological data to support. Maybe I, sh maybe I sh shouldn't be drinking that. I'm not sure what they put in there. Um, so let me just give you the way we see um, cancer, very much the way I saw the human signal engine. Yes. Right? So. When the human genome was uh, completed in 2003, the whole world, so we, we now cured cancer because through the genomic analysis. What we didn't realize, maybe we did realize, but didn't appreciate the depth of the problem, is not the gene, right. it's actually downstream of the gene called the protein, which means you need to get into the era of proteomics. So the moonshot is leapfrogging this entire nation into the era of clinical, what I call clinical genomoproteomics, where we need to measure the entire gene, but what the gene does downstream Correct. to the protein pathway, because that's where the drug works. If the drug doesn't work at the gene level, some few drugs may work at the gene level, but most drugs right. work at the protein level. So if we do not know what protein is affected, we then guessing by just doing the genetic signature. The trouble is, you're talking about 3 billion base pairs times 3 billion base pairs times 20,000. That's 000 a really pairs. big number, and right. it's a ton of data. A ton of data, big number, but to get to I am the one, like the matrix, the protein. If you can get to the protein and get to the protein that actually is either driving the cell or causing the tumor cell to hide or don't eat me, you can educate your immune system to go eat the eat the cancer. Correct. So, what is also scary 
we've discovered that the cancer cell changes not over in time, but the same day. You could biopsy a cancer patient today, let's say with triple negative breast cancer, which is shown, and biopsy the, the patient at the breast, at the lymph node, and a different site, and each cancer cell will show a different genomic signature. It's incredible. It's so they're chameleons, right? They're constantly mutating. On the same day. So which mole are you going to whack? So this idea of targeted therapy and whacking a mole of what you call smart bombs is impossible because you have no idea what to bomb. We need really smart bombs. Well, you need a different strategy. You don't need smart bombs. You need a different strategy. Okay. Because our strategy is we've been trying to treat cancer by actually fighting the cell. When, in fact, your entire body has its own armament to wipe out all the cells. So, so we need to actually treat the host, not treat the cancer. The whole person. The whole person. That's why I needed the human signal engine in oh, order to, to, to capture big data to move at the speed of your biological clock. I, I am 100% with you. And, you know, not many <laughs> I'm, people. I'm so, I'm so glad. No, no. <laughs> uh, not many people here can can keep up with that because they're still living in the past. And you're, there's a William Gibson said the future has already arrived. It's just not evenly distributed. And you're on that space of figuring out what's going to work in the future by understanding all these functions going on from proteomics on up to the constant variability and then figure out how to train the body. And I have very college roommate is working on some of these epigenetic efforts to stimulate the body. And it's happening across many parts of the body. But the work you're doing to actually take that out of the lab and apply it through NAN Health so, uh, is, is fascinating. So you've, you've put together a number of synergistic companies, and now you're really focused on understanding the digital connections, but you're also really focusing on this me as an individual and how my body is constantly changing. You know, it's interesting. Every time we talk about these as companies, I don't even view them as companies. I, you view them as tools towards a common goal. Okay? The tools of the common goal is to actually induce what we call the memory cell in your body to actually fight the cancer and read to the cure. That's what it is. It's a common, common, fundamental goal. And when I launched this drug called Abraxane, yes. Now, people to this day don't fully realize or comprehend it was nothing to do with the drug or the company. It was to do with the fact that I found a pathway to the inner cell of the cold thing called the tumor microenvironment. And this drug, being a first protein nanoparticle, could activate a receptor on the blood vessel wall, open up a pathway through the blood vessel wall, to the innards of the tumor microenvironment. That's why this drug is approved for breast cancer, lung cancer, pancreatic cancer. Why would you have one drug approved for three different cancers, the only drug on the planet that actually has this in UK and the US? Because it's actually found its way into the tumor microenvironment. To this day, I don't think doctors of oncology actually appreciate the fact. They think of this as, well, there was bristomyes with Taxol and Sanofi with Taxotere. So this is really another version to go after the generic. Micro-personalization into the fundamental function of the tumor cell, right? It's completely into what we call the tumor microenvironment. Tumor microenvironment. You heard it here first. Because I, I, I've been around to a lot of conferences in precision medicine, and nobody else has really talked about that microenvironment. Right. So you heard tumor microenvironment, human signal engine, and fighting at the speed of the biological clock. 
Right. <laughs> so five years from now, come and tell me what where we are at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And we're going to do that in five years because you're inventing the future as we go. But I also doing you're doing some things to identify other companies like Navinet and others in terms of acquisition. It's all part of the port purpose. So Navinet now has an opportunity now that now covers 750 health plans. It now has access to 450,000 doctors. Now is the opportunity for me to educate every doctor at the digital moment when they actually check their patients and bring to them clinical trials and information that you could never learn before because most doctors aren't molecular oncologists. Uh, the world of cancer has now become almost like a virologist. So we need to train a whole new cadre of doctors that trained decades ago and new doctors are coming up now and Nevinet's that portal. And you know what? I get it. Navinet is the portal to get the concept of the micro tumor environment out to the world. Correct. And really change the difference at the point of care. Correct. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Thank you so much for existing on the planet because I don't think we could fix and improve human life because it's not about health. It's about life. So thank you so much for the insights you shared today. You're welcome. Him 16 Health Innovation Media live broadcast Conversa Booth 11334. It's a pleasure to meet you All again. Right. Good. I'm so glad you enjoyed that. Okay. Okay, so this is Greg checking in with Fred and awesome interview. Uh, Unbelievably fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, the doctor to come by and talk with us. Amazing guy. And lots happening in precision medicine, precision health, and uh, oncology in particular. So that was awesome. And um, unfortunately, we were waiting for Dr. Uh, John Madison, who cannot make it, or he hasn't appeared yet. But, uh, you know, this is the way it goes in 40,000 people who are just, you know, crashing into each other trying to get from point A to point B. Absolutely. And we do have some good ones set up for this afternoon, so hopefully we'll be able to continue on or close to the schedule. Yeah. But it's really been incredible uh, Ron, to hear what's going on. Ron, We've got some us. neat stuff. Here, have a Of course, we've got folks coming up into the booth, so we're going to do a quick discussion right here. Hello, Ranya. I'm Fred. How are you? Nice to meet you. Oh, okay, great. So welcome to our wonderful show. We grabbed them right from the show floor. Really? And uh, yeah, we're here on Health Innovation. So tell me a little bit about what you do, Ron. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, my name is uh, Dr. Rania Habash. I'm the Chief Medical Officer for Everbridge. Uh-huh. Um, and Everbridge has a HIPAA-compliant uh, texting and uh, telemedicine app called HIPAAChat. They acquired HIPAAChat. So. Fantastic. And, and so it's built upon an SMS texting platform? Yeah, exactly. And how far can you take that out? So obviously you can send text, receive text. Uh-huh. Are you bringing in survey data or other things like that? or? So this was designed by me, basically. My yeah. brother wrote the software, but he designed it for me because um, in healthcare, we're always texting and doing FaceTime calls with our patients and with the other providers. We needed a really easy way to do it, but that was still HIPAA compliant. 
so we specifically don't want to pull in data from all these other things and to to complicate things. Got it. Is it an is it an app or is it a straight up texting program? It's an app. It's an app. Yeah. Fantastic. So it's behind the firewall. You're all safe with your HIPAA stuff yes, and moving exactly. the data back and forth. Anything you do with the app is of a compliance. I want to comment on something you just said though. You said you're a physician, right? Yes. We've been texting and FaceTiming our doctors. That's not usual behavior you hear from a doctor. So how did you get started doing that, and what have you found? Because obviously we're trying to move in that direction from an overall perspective with doctors, but what, what, how did you start that? Um, you know, I, uh, I'm a private practice physician, but I also take call at like five different hospitals, uh-huh. and they're always calling me for curbside consults and for patients to come in in the ER during the day. Um, and they need me to leave my office and come down and evaluate patients, and obviously that's impossible. So i got to be two places at once. And that's the that's the impetus behind just texting, you know, simple lab results and pictures and doing quick FaceTime calls with the patients so that I can evaluate things while I'm also seeing my own patients. That's great. So you started doing that and said, wait a second, we gotta build a company, we get an app. I mean, we've got to write our own code and build this thing, and that's what you did with Everbridge. My, my brother did. Your brother he did, said, right. wait a minute, you can't be doing this, it's not HIPAA compliant. I said the same thing any doctor would say, which is, what do I care? You know, and he kind of showed his way and, you know, told me about the fines and told me how to keep my patients more safe. So, so. how long have you had the product out on the market? Who's um, using it? It's about two years now, and uh, it was acquired last year by Everbridge. Um, but we have about a thousand customers um, that are healthcare, you know, hospital clients. And do they range, say, from a solo practitioner up to systems using it, or how is that? The whole system. The yeah, whole system. I mean, uh, the uh, individual providers we don't really keep that much track of. Actually, it's more these are a thousand health systems that are using it. Wow! And so they then put that in for their patients accessing their system, and then their providers can within that health system can each use the app to then reach out to their patients. Yeah, it's not just for patients to, to providers. It's between providers. Oh, as providers well. as well. So, you know, even if I get a consult from the ER, you know, there needs to be a secure way for them to get me that information. Right. So they don't have to call my answering service and go through that whole loop, which can take like 30 minutes by the time they get in touch with me, and then I get back in touch with them, and the patient is suffering because they're waiting that whole time. Sure. And so you talked about moving images as well as text, lab values, so you can move photos or x-ray potentially across yeah. the system as well? Absolutely, yeah. And does it link in, so are the transactions integrated with the electronic medical record yet? Nope. or we, yet? They, we do have open APIs. Got it. It can interface. They can pull that data yeah. in and then put it in if they would like to. But we don't want to. I don't want them to do that because uh-huh. it just makes it very cumbersome. So now all we do is the same thing we always did before, which is if there's a broken bone on the x-ray, um, just take a picture of the screen and send it. Right, so, so instead of calling so, up or, or et cetera, you just go ahead and fire that thing out from one provider to another. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Great. And <laughs> no logins, no portals, no passwords, no sign-ins, nothing. And are there any newer kinds of things or what else or, or, or ways this could be used that are just starting to come to fruition? Or um, Yeah, I mean, now, you know... Uh, the, the name of the game before was just getting information to the right person at the right time. And the easiest way to do that is simple texting back and forth. Um, but, you know, doing video consultations has also become a big issue now, and it's being reimbursed um, right. by the insurance companies. And so now it's a, a revenue-generating kind of issue as well um, as better patient care. Fantastic. And are you here at the with a booth here, or you just come to just visit? Or yeah, Everbridge has a booth here, uh-huh. and then we're also very uh, close partners with Apple and Verizon, so we work with them as well as uh, for partner solutions. And so, if people want to stop by your booth, where's that? 
Yeah, we're um we're in the twelve thousand row. And you remember the booth number? Yeah, let me possibly look that thing up. <laughs> There's so up. many booths here. It took me a half a day just to figure out the one we're sitting here doing the show from. So I understand yeah. completely. As a matter of fact, I think we had the wrong booth number go out through a few tweets from one of our my compadres. So he had to go out and correct that. Yeah. But um yeah, so we're excited you're here and um. If people want to get in touch with you, website or yeah, um, so it's just everbridge.com um, uh-huh. or HippaBridge. Or HippaBridge. Um, yeah. Okay. Hippa Cat was with the original name of the product, and uh-huh. they with the rest of their communication. Excellent, so. excellent. Yeah, and if you can find the booth number, if not, I'm sure people walking around can figure that out. Yeah. Um, we'll get it but we really appreciate you stopping by. Is there yeah, anything else you'd like? me right off the- here. That's great. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to add about Everbridge or yes. uh, what you're working on? Everbridge is the um, number one unified communication system uh, for large companies and hospitals across the world, actually. So these are the ones who uh, do the mass communication alerts for the Boston bombing or the Super Bowl that we just did the Super Bowl you know, last month. Wow. Um, these are the people who are entrusted to get the message to the right person at the right time, the right place, on the right device. So there is zero room for error for them. They're really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. I would assume also one of the things with your system is it's got to just improve efficiency. Yeah, absolutely. Which ultimately should lower costs. Yeah. So as you begin to look at value-based systems, you need to put these technologies in, right? Yeah, It's absolutely. not an additive. It's actually going to reduce some burden. That's exactly right. That's the whole point. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, when it's designed by a doctor from the inside, from inside the system, you know, and not an IT person who doesn't know the inside of the hospital. Um, that's why it was such a big success, and it spread virally from there just because it's so damn simple to use it's the way it's got to be. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much for yeah, stopping by. I really appreciate the chance to get to talk to you <laughs> and you. hope you have the rest of the great conference. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. And there you have it, Everbridge talking about their mobile health and texting app. It's amazing the people you'll meet here as you walk around. Um, and we're sitting here looking for the next uh, interview, which hopefully should be showing up soon as a guest. But if not, we'll try to keep you entertained and give you some insights into what's going on here. As I said before, we're in the uh, Conversa Health booth, number 11334. And uh, I'm going to spend a little time, hopefully later this afternoon, walking around. I've got a list of about 60 booths I want to look at, ranging from big data companies, um, some of the companies that have made major announcements like Salesforce, um, down to some of the individualized companies that provide a unique little uh, product within the health IT space. Also, we've got some wellness vendors and some population health vendors. Um, there are probably a few more people with the mantle population health on their uh, at their booth or that they claim they do than really people who are doing full population health, but we'll try to figure that out and sort it out as we move forward. Um, Over the next three days, Greg, Doug, and I will be bringing you um, some of the unique insights here. It's pretty incredible. I did get a chance, I said this morning, to walk around a a bit and and found a number of companies I was completely unaware of that are providing products, Um, uh, some of them around unique things like uh, pricing transparency. You're seeing some groups that are bringing in unique data sets and sort of mashing them up making them available to either providers or consumers. Obviously, you can use that for segmentation or psychographic types of work, as well as um, if you can pop a machine learning engine on that or some other unique uh, um, analytics tools, you can begin to understand from a better perspective what's going on within the population. So I'll be looking around for some of those as well over the next uh, couple of days. 
and uh, seeing if we can bring some of those groups to you. We do have some meetings set up, assuming the individuals are able to make it to the booth. Obviously, sometimes things change. We've got IBM Watson coming in. Uh, we also are hoping to talk to Carissa Price at Care Innovations. And thankfully, I'm being joined back in the booth uh, by my compadre, Micro Tumor Doug Environment, Goldstein. and figuring out how to leverage that. Well, what a fascinating part of that conversation with Dr. Uh, Soon Chan. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, CEO of Nancy Health. Where, he's, uh, where his mind is at as he works trying to solve this problem with uh, cancer that we face and see if he can come up with some unique solutions, both from a data analytics tool as well as ultimately from a genomic or medicinal tool to be able to apply towards what he finds from that genomic data. So, uh, It's really some of the most cutting-edge work going on in healthcare. And, and now the whole acquisition of Navinet, right? The acquisition. Right. So he's going to educate doctors to really understand the effectiveness, the detail of this work of the human body signals changing real time, cancer cells changing real time, and then how to leverage the innovations and things that he's discovered, that micro tumor environment, and how to <laughs> get constantly changing smart bombs in there, or how to leverage or figure out the immune system to go in and bypass the defenses these cancer cells have put up there. And selectively take them out while doing little to no harm is what we're looking for. Obviously, right. we understand or we now come back in. Treated. The whole area of regenerative medicine is uh, the body's recovering from that through stem cells and other things. So right. you can take out pieces of the body and then you can uh, regenerate it through uh, stem cells and things like that. So we got the best folks coming by here to be we had Matt Herman who's funding some of these companies like Body Media and CEO of Nan Health uh, coming right. by the Conversa booth 11334 oh. their unique product so great stuff yeah so what are we looking forward to this afternoon i think we've got a couple scheduled we'll see if they if they're able to show up here but um if not We'll give you our insights as to what we see going on here at the conference. Oh, we could just grab a random person like that guy right there who's very tall and uh, chat with him about <laughs> what he's doing. That's what we call innovation and innovations on the fly. Exactly. It's interview on the fly. You just have to keep going here. I could go scan his uh, badge and see uh, what his story might be. But, you know, friend, you and I know a lot of people. So we, we see people that walk by this booth all the time. So uh, I think this is going to be open-air live booth, and let's go uh, find some guests, although our schedule is pretty well-packed, and I thought you memorized that schedule, Fred. I had it in my head for a while, but it's gone. As we, well, that's why we have these digital environments, Thank right? gosh, to, to key us up with the right information. And so we're, so let's, let's discuss this a little bit. You just had, obviously, the good doctor on talking about some deep-level innovation. It's really around precision medicine. So we just let me had... Go grab, grab this guy. Go right ahead. We just had the announcement out of the White House the other day about precision medicine and what's going on in that space and uh, some of the initiatives that they're trying to do in the precision medicine space, uh, bringing together some companies. We're hoping to talk to a couple of those companies that announced they'll be doing some open API work and data work to allow for um, a quicker knowledge understanding and build the databases required to create these uh, precision medicine initiatives and uh, hopefully discover much, much more about us as individuals. I think it's pretty fascinating. On the one hand, we're looking at precision medicine, which is really how do we target the one, 
And on the other hand, we're looking at population health. And uh, there have been some people who have thought that perhaps population health and precision medicine are don't really combine. But if you think about population health from the perspective of the following framework, it starts with the identification of your population. You have to know who they are. You have to then assess that population, determine what their various uh, levels of risk are, stratify them, and intervene. Well, precision so, medicine really fits. So you were trying to bring oh, someone over here. Right, right, right. You're talking so, to? This morning, we were uh, had breakfast with Samsung. <laughs> They had an exclusive media breakfast, and uh, they had a number of partners there. They had uh, David Rue, who's the uh, chief medical officer of Samsung Americas, talking about, think about Samsung sensors in your refrigerator, your toaster. The uh, Internet of Things. Hopefully the Internet of Healthy Things that don't take my data and do bad things with it. But uh, And our phones, right? I mean, half the population has Samsung phones, like I do. Right. And uh, there's devices and sensors in here. So think about that environment. So Sam- Samsung has a huge commitment to health, and they had this press conference, and one of the companies that's a big partner of them is Vivify Health. But there's a company most people probably haven't heard about was uh, Breezy. And Jay Kazimi is the CEO, and he walked by, and I was trying to bring him into the studio. So tell uh, us about Breezy. What do they do? Well, Breezy has created an interface through mobile devices, tablets, that's very, as I understand it, ergonomically sensitive and adaptable to seniors or people with different literacies than millennials or Gen Xers or even boomers. So what does that mean? Define it means it, it makes this shit easy to use. Okay, for the senior. Yeah, well, I'm not sure what a senior is anymore based on my advancing age, but I, I like to just refer to specific ages. Folks who have different, uh, grew up in different era, eras, who maybe um, not, do, not digital it. native. So does it change the interface itself? I believe so, but that's why we were trying to get him in the studio to really get uh, more information well, on it. Well, we're going to have to look that up and he figure it out. He said he'd come back. Yeah, well, that sounds see, good. See, like I said, we're in this discussion. open-air studio, and we see people all we know because Speaking we're which, very well connected in this whole emerging technology area. But, but you can say, you, want, you don't want any parting words? Oh, just say you got to go. I didn't want to interrupt you guys. So one of our uh, last guests, Raina, is saying goodbye. She didn't want to interrupt, but we this well, is an open so air studio. Thank you so much. We enjoyed so. the time with you. Thank you. Likewise. Oh, you're I welcome. Appreciate it. I'll be listening to uh, all your all your uh, cast and awesome miles. Great. That Thanks. sounds fantastic. Thank you so much for stopping by. Okay. So here we are back uh, looking for what what time is there? Ne- you're looking up our next scheduled. Uh, right, I'm checking out the schedule. Or We're a I little go, bit uh, behind. What are we looking at from a time perspective? It's 1220. Uh, we missed our 12 and our 1215. Hopefully they'll come on by. We do have a 1230 scheduled. With, and we'll see if uh, that individual shows up as well. But it's uh, it's definitely been interesting and uh, pretty excited as I walk around. And, and uh, obviously, the one of the huge crowds, but two... You know, there are some unique companies doing some unique things. In fact, there are so many companies out here doing things I've never thought of or in areas that I typically don't focus on. It's pretty incredible, whether it's the uh, in-hospital equipment type folks or uh, or people working on um, other technologies versus, you know, my interest more in the population health, behavioral side, your interest in the precision medicine side well, and behavioral. One thing, uh, Dr. Patrick uh, Soon Chion said, uh, the CEO of Nath Health, 
said every other booth had something about precision medicine, but no, you know, it's not really hit the radar screen for most of these technology providers in my assessment of the exhibit all last night and this morning. But I think they're thinking about it. But as you see, and some of our guests were asking, where is uh, the omics? Right. Proteomics, right. microbiomics. And, you know, microbiome, we're really just spaceships for bacteria in our microbiome. <laughs> and, uh, and most of these companies are, uh, it's not anywhere on the roadmap. Uh, they're just trying to figure out how to survive right now. They're living in a digital world, as they well should be. But the work that Dr. Um, Sun Chion is doing is really on the forefront. And he is uh, scaling on a big scale because of his uh, brilliance, but also success in pre creating previous companies. So right. Uh, right. Nan Health is... Uh, Developed some cancer drugs as well. I understand well, that very well. He's yeah. learned how to get into that micro uh, tumor environment, right? Yeah. And... Uh, stimulate the body to make a difference. So we could get West Shell over here. We've not talked to West. We could. Or I could go find somebody. Uh, and we haven't heard from uh, Greg Masters, but he looks like he's busy doing something offset. Have you had a few changes there? I know we've got uh, a few others scheduled this afternoon. We'll see if they're able to make it by. Sometimes people get waylaid in their booths having to talk to clients and uh, if we couldn't get them out we'll try to get them rescheduled for later I'm hoping as I said earlier this afternoon to go out and look at some of these companies I want to see what um, some of the larger providers have done around their population health stuff and their data and analytics uh, whether it's some of the big health plans that are here or some of the big uh, IT companies yesterday we had a very good meeting with um, well, what? Eric Dishman yeah. and, uh, and uh, Care Innovations and their new CEO. We're hoping to have Carissa Price here today. And if not, we'll let you know about their press release and some of the announcements they've made but, at Intel Care Innovations. But, you know, uh, with, with those comments, uh, IBM Watson, what's, you know, I, I hear they're hiring big time. Something like 5,000, uh, anticipate hiring 5,000 people. That's that's a pretty rapid scale. Right. And if you think about it, was it last week they announced the acquisition of Truven? For uh, oh, right. slightly over two billion dollars, and you know it all starts with one word. When you think about the simplicity of strategy, uh, IBM focused many years ago, even before they coined Watson, on one word, and it was think, wasn't it? Think. Yes. And then out of think came Watson, and now Watson is ballooning, and they've got a venture fund, and they're investing in companies like uh, WellTalk, right? Right. They're linking up with WellTalk. I understand they're doing a study at IBM with uh, Watson and giving everybody Apple Watches. They're feeding that data into Watson to see what it's going to start generating based on its machine learning Maybe engine. Maybe it's going to generate oranges. Oranges. Apple, wa Apple oranges. Oranges. Sorry, Fred. It was a bit of a you tangent lost me here. There. I'm just not quite with it today. You know, we're, we're live here for two hours, so uh, we've got to spice it up. So what did you think Apple. when you read the Truven, Truven deal? I mean, bringing uh, in uh, hundreds of millions of lives of claims? Well, I've talked to some analysts that have had some inside, uh, some uh, Is it analysts. something you can publicly discuss? Well, I or? can't mention the firm or the analyst, but they were really concerned that uh, there was some client dissatisfaction with some of the uh, Truven, not the core knowledge or analytics, but some of the or difficult interfaces, but 
cleaning up in itself, or was that more with the well, going the to water? Maybe you're applying water. the tools. I, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. I'd have to look at the survey, and once again, this is secondhand. I don't want to spread rumors. Well, Truman has some very smart analytics folks. You know, uh, I know some of them in the healthcare space, obviously, like a Ron Getzel, who well, does did, some time but, with Truman. But did you look? Have you looked at the interface that the health system executives? or health plan executives have to have to work with through Truven? I have not had the opportunity to see their product. So, so but I, my guess is that, you know, no acquisition is perfect. No. And uh, I'm sure More IBM will fix those problems because they're on the forefront of uh, effective user interfaces. I think, I think the more interesting thing is going to be what insights can we gather or can IBM and Truven gather now by feeding that huge amount of data they have into Watson. I'm wondering also if there may not be some concerns from clients as to what are you doing with my data? But I would look at it from the perspective of what can be done with my data. That's no, kind of cool. The reality is we started talking about this a little bit earlier. People should not be concerned about the NSA in your data because they're trying to protect you from terrorist attacks. It's really the consumer products use of the data that we're generating from all these devices, from our credit card purchases, uh, it's impossible to be off the grid. There's no privacy anymore. So it's really what other people who may want to steal your identity or other things that... Which, interesting enough, is something I just recently dealt with, believe it or not. <laughs> you know, I don't know how they got some of that information, but they had some of it and tried to use it. You know, it's a, it's a problem. It's the data's out there. I've tried to be pretty secure with mine, but obviously it probably is, is actually is the... Uh, the um, police officer told me it probably got taken from an automatic bill payment through your cell phone. That the cell phone company's been hacked so many times that that's where they're getting your data. Interesting. So we'll see. But I do think, um, you know, I have a, a fairly good, big interest in what you might be able to do with some of this machine learning and applying these new uh, analytics tools to large data sets that. If you can get that Truven data in there, combine it with what Watson's been ingesting from the medical journals and everything else, me it's going to be it could be very powerful. And by the way, we now have hey. our next guest. So Care Innovations, what a company. You know, I, I hear that they have a sole partner now. It's just Intel. They do. He's dropped out, and we have Carissa so, Price here. So, so well, let's get with Carissa. Thank you so much, Carissa, for joining us. It's a pleasure. We are live here. Have a seat. And as Carissa gets set up, we'll go ahead and uh, get ready to do this discussion. We're going to take a little uh, break and swap out a video card here so we can make sure we get all this on video. Okay. How's your day been so far? It's been crazy here for him. Is it? Right? Him is crazy. It's crazy. We, not only we had to schedule folks, we've grabbed a couple people walking by and brought them into the booth. That's awesome. So it, it has been crazy. It's been good. And it's it going well so far? Oh, yeah. There's so many old faces to see, new faces to meet. That's it's great. A great buzz in there. And so, as uh, we're where exactly is your booth? What's the number? So we're in the Intel booth, and oh, you can ask me a hard question. Now. Oh, What's the number? The number is the hard one for everybody. We're in the Venetian Ballroom. Okay. Three zero three two. And my assumption would be the Intel booth is fairly large, so it is two, fairly people large. ought to be able to see that. Yes. Yes. Well, that's great. Right across from Athena Health, um, oh. and the rapper who's going to Dr. Rapper who's going to go on at three o'clock. Oh, is that Z Dog? Uh huh. Z. I can't All wait. All right. I love his videos. So. That'll be great. Yes. Three well, o'clock. Don't miss it. Fantastic. For full disclosure, before I start here with Chris, let everyone know I am an advisor to Care Innovation. 
I'm proud to have been asked to sit on their advisory board, along with Dr. David Nash, who's the chair of that group, and some other people our folks may know, such as um, Matthew Holt. So uh, thanks a lot for joining us today. Uh, we had a chance yesterday to talk to uh, Dr. Dishman and your new CEO and uh, heard some exciting news. So why don't you give a little bit of background of Care Innovations, what it is, and uh, what they do. Sure. Care Innovations um, was born out of a um, joint venture between GE Healthcare and Intel five years ago. And it really was coming together to say we both got these technological solutions to help people stay at home. Neither of us are really in that space. Let's form this, this startup to, to take these um, products to market. And we've really evolved a lot in the last five years, and the market's evolved a lot in the last five years. So what used to be two separate kind of business lines of smart sensors and remote patient management, today with our Health Harmony platform are really combined into one. So we have a new remote patient management solution called Health Harmony. It utilizes a variety of peripherals and sensors and things like that to really track and monitor and manage people at home so that they don't end up in the hospital or they don't end up in a nursing home. So essentially, as we've moved this value-based care model, it seems like this stuff is finally, yes. I mean, finally gaining some traction. From your lips to God's ears. You know, and, and I think you actually, the press release you had talked about some of that traction. So what are you seeing now in that market? Well, it's very interesting because I think that, you know, for a lot, long time, it was always next year or next five years, <laughs> right? And I think 2015 was a phenomenal year for us at Care Innovation. The amount of growth we saw in the marketplace measured by the amount of RFPs that were out, the amount of RFPs that we personally want, and just the, the general sentiment that we have arrived finally. People are ready to embrace the technology. It really isn't a technology problem anymore. It's always been a business model problem. Who's going to pay for it? And nowadays, with the, the Affordable Care Act and the pressures that's put in the move to value-based care, we've got more and more people realizing, well, I need that because what goes on with the patient outside of my walls is what really is driving the cost. Yeah, I think it's really interesting if you think about it with with the CMS and HS saying we want to move to 80% value-based payment, you know, in the next few years that suddenly maybe it's going to click within the hospital systems that the hospitals are actually a cost center now. And what we need to do is find everything we can to keep people out of our hospitals and improve the quality at the same time. And this really is a tool to do that, right? Well, it does that, Fred, but it also does something else even for providers today in today's reimbursement world, right? Some of our, our clients have revenue optimization goals, right? So a bed is not just a bed. They want to have the most profitable and um, appropriate patients for those beds rather than having those beds being taken up by people who could be managed at home, right? So putting something like this in place helps to manage the short, medium, and long term for these providers because it allows them to be able to send people home earlier than they might have been able to because they can monitor them now and have that clinician-patient interaction via our tablets and our software. Um, so there's a variety of different reasons yeah, why so the quality could it. be as good or better Absolutely. in that home environment, yes. which in essence, yeah, as you're yes. saying, it frees up a bed or, or um, as you say, optimizes, yeah. you talk about revenue. So that's a, that's a neat way to look at it. And um, as you said, the growth, is, is it providers, is it payers, is it both? Where's, who's really putting this stuff in now? I think that's the fascinating part. Traditionally, you know, payers obviously have the direct incentive to try to implement a program like this. But now we've seen a lot of growth from providers. And the in-between space, right, of providers who are taking on more risk, either they've formed an ATO or they're looking to do some sort of um, shared savings plan or managed readmissions, all those kinds of things. 
providers are now interested in this remote patient management solutions to be able to manage their risk too. And then even more interesting is the growth we've seen in the post-acute world, right? Because all this pressure on readmissions, the post-acute world says, well, hey, now my hospital referral partners are dinging me and not sending me this because I am not very good at keeping them from coming back within that 30 to 60 days. I too need to invest in this remote patient management solution so I can understand what happens when I discharge from my SNF. Yeah, let's bring in a kind of a unique piece of this that I think a lot of times we forget because we came out of the healthcare side and this and that. This is really something that actually is better for the consumer because at the end of the day, they don't want to be in the hospital. Absolutely. So we talk about how it's better for the provider, but it really is a patient-centric approach, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, right. You're absolutely right there. And that's my background is actually in the consumer uh-huh. product and consumer marketing Well, world. it's good. Some of you came over yes, to this so side. that's why, you know, I came to Care Innovations to bring that consumer perspective. So our kit, as we call it, our Health Harmony kit, is designed to be a pleasant consumer experience. And not to remind someone that they're sick or they're old or anything like that, but to be something fun like it's from Zappos or Amazon, right? So we spent a lot of time designing the box designing what those interfaces look like, and designing the whole experience from start to finish to make sure that the consumer wants to be embracing this technology, wants to embrace this new program, wants to make it part of their lives. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about behavior change. And behavior change is right. hard. It's, it's very hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's in ago. terms of, of outcomes and costs. You've got to get people who have multiple chronic diseases mm-hmm. to make a different choice every single day and be accountable for their own health. So it's really a very patient-centric approach that we take at, at Care Innovation. So, you know, one final question. What do you expect to see out of Intel Care Innovation over the next couple of years? Is the market's fired up about this stuff now? Where, where are you going with it? Absolutely. Well, you know, the VA RFP is in, in the marketplace this year, and so we're hoping to, to win that. And to see a continuation of the growth in just the number of RFPs being put out there by provider organizations and payer organizations. As I said, we've had a phenomenal growth rate in 2015. We're already off to a phenomenal start in the Q1. And we expect, you know, we're only as good as our execution. So for us this year, it's really about executing flawlessly for our clients to make sure that they're successful in their business goals with remote patient management. Well, so it really sounds like, I thank you first of all for coming, but it sounds like this new Intel Care Innovation Focus is really going to be driving some neat stuff coming out of the next couple of years within this tel- this monitoring space, which is so critical for us to make a better healthcare system. Well, absolutely, Fred. And I think that the advantage for us and what we've really learned over the last couple of years is it's not about the technology. It's about people. So right. Whether it's a patient-centered approach or clinicians are people, too. So how do you design a program that fits into their workflows, that fits into their lives, that you're not asking doctors and nurses to do something more or complicated, but that actually helps them do their job and helps them be excited to get up and do what they do every day. So we're really excited about the future. Remote patient management is finally coming to its own, we believe, and thanks for allowing us to share our story. Right. So if people want to find you, pretty easy. Where are you on the Internet? www.careinnovations.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Carissa. Thanks, Fred. We appreciate you Have coming a today. Show. We'll see you I'll soon. be stopping by the booth later on over the next couple of days Perfect. to see the latest and greatest from Care Innovations. Look forward thanks. to it. Take care. I believe we've got our next guest coming up. Brenda Schmidt, CEO of Solera, is joining us now in the booth here live from HIM 16. We're here at the Converse Health booth. Brenda. Hi, Fred. Great to see you again. I've known you for quite a few years. Our paths seem to always cross. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. We're happy to have you. And um, you've sort of, since really the last time, a few years ago, you've really transformed a 
company into something new focused on what I think is one of the coolest areas in healthcare. So tell us a little bit about Solera Health. Yeah, we've completely pivoted our business model with the recognition that hundreds of community-based organizations, places like Weight Watchers, the YMCA, Jenny Craig, and more recently digital providers, have the ability to deliver evidence-based programming and really are a wealth of new, different type of healthcare providers. Um, and these organizations, however, don't have any ability to link in with healthcare. And so we really recognize the opportunity to build a technology platform that links patients with this new type of healthcare provider, non-credentialed, but high access, lower costs as an adjunct to primary care. So you're linking up what used to be these separate organizations out there in the community, not-for-profits or, like you, you mentioned some of the names, to the healthcare provider system? Is that what you sure. do, Solera? Well, 100% of our revenue actually comes from medical claims. So as a ACA-covered benefits are covering things like diabetes prevention and cardiovascular risk reduction, those services can be... Um, uh, delivered by organizations that have built the capacity to deliver these programs in the community. And so they're typically ACA-covered benefits, but those organizations have typically relied on grant funding to provide those services. So Solera contracts with the health plan for ACA-covered preventative benefits on behalf of a very diverse, integrated national network of community organizations and, more recently, um, many digital providers. And so you've actually created this broader network mm -hmm. that flows through your platform. Exactly. Is that right? So our technology connects patients and members to the best fit program in the community or digital provider. So that's exactly what we are. We're a health integrator technology platform that's linking um, and, and facilitating community clinical integration. So could you tell me some of the services that are actually being, um, you mentioned the diabetes prevention program, that are being um, reimbursed that are now linking up? Is that yeah, the sure. main one or are there others? Um, it's primarily the Diabetes Prevention Program. Uh, back in August of 2014, the U um, United States Preventative Services Task Force um, recommended that intensive behavioral counseling for cardiovascular risk reduction and then more recently diabetes prevention is a covered ACA covered benefit. It's a mandate for health insurance co uh, companies to cover these things at 100% for their commercial members. And so if you think about a health plan trying to have the, the lift in the transaction costs of delivering those programs with their existing resources, it's really tough, it's expensive. Um, but you look at the, the folks in the community that are hyper-local, that have those trusted relationships, that have been supported by the Centers for Disease Control to deliver these programs, there's a perfect and fit. So they're, they're, but those organizations are essentially credentialed or certified to do those kinds of services, or are they just... So they're non-credentialed non providers. non providers, um, understand that. And we don't vet and validate. Um, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has developed the Diabetes Prevention Program. Um, they recognize the organizations, and that's the minimum so, bar for... Right, so they have to be recognized for having gone through that their yeah. program is based upon those guidelines exactly. of how you do these diabetes prevention exactly. programs, and then they can deliver them. You put together this network that the providers or payers can then access yep. through your system, and, and so, for example, they identify Jane Doe, who is at, uh, at risk for developing type 2 diabetes, and they can contracted through you to get those services to keep them from getting that Exactly, disease. exactly. Got it. And, and what's beautiful about the network is that it really drives member choice and consumer engagement. Because you think about the experiences of, uh, of, of application on your phone or a Weight Watchers or a Y, those are very different experiences and members have unique needs and preferences. So through our network, we're able to match patients with the ideal platform and intervention methodology for them. And we think we can elevate the engagement and outcomes across the industry.
That's great. And who are the purchasers of the services you're now providing? Can you tell us any of the it's, folks it's, that are using it? Um, we are contracted with Anthem, um, several Blues plans. We're funded by Blue Cross wow. Shield Venture Partners. Um, most of the health plans are interested in what we're doing as a platform because we solve a distribution and billing problem. If you think about digital technologies and mHealth and the explosion of, of really great services coming out, not only in the chronic disease prevention, but stress management and some other areas, um, those companies typically don't have the ability to contract with a health plan for things like delegate oversight and CMS compliance. And so by contracting with Solera, the health plan then has access to a very wide array of these mHealth and digital applications um, as, as services to, to support their members. And in terms of your approach, it's a, it's a transactional-based system for, that connects the plan or the payer with the community-based services to do this. Is there any consumer component in that, or is that Well, you know, it's separate? interesting. Um, we didn't think so at first. We thought, wow, <laughs> let's pull in the data. We'll pull the claims data. We'll pull the EMR data, and we'll find these people that are, ap- are eligible for these ACA-covered benefits, and we call them and enroll them in these free benefits. And, you know, it's a much bigger ask to say, we know you're at risk. And the first thing they say is, well, how do you know I'm at risk? And then say, <laughs> we want you to do this year-long kind of weight loss program. And and that wasn't really working very well. So what we found is if we can really do the consumer engagement and messaging and say, hey, take this 30-second quiz, and you could get Weight Watchers for free for a year, or you could get, you know, this digital platform for free. And people are like, that's a much lower ask to say, Click on, click on the link, find them at risk to get this benefit. And so we've really done a lot more around consumer engagement and consumer marketing to drive people to us. Mm-hmm. Um, we we're launching a site this week called DPP for Me, and it is a consumer-based website where members can come to that site, identify whether they're eligible for these ACA-covered benefits, and pick the program and, and go through that process and enroll on our site. So we're super excited about launching that. So as we start moving, hopefully as we've discussed before, to these more accountable health-type communities. I assume you sort of could be the linchpin to bring in all sorts of different types of community-based services, many that today are not necessarily reimbursed. But if you go full risk or something, you're going to want to have that out there? Well, even we're all paper performance. Right. So we're not PMPM. We, we're 100% of our revenues through claims. And so we get paid when we enroll. We get paid on engagement. And we ultimately get paid on outcomes. But what we're finding is we're going back to the, the plans. And in a population like Medicaid or some of those at-risk populations, we're saying, look, these programs are going to be more successful if we wrap around things like social service referrals and text messaging platforms for engagement. And the plans are more than willing to increase the claims cost to include a bundle around other ancillary services that can make those programs more effective. So it's a really exciting time in looking at how to connect even further into things like housing and transportation and food insecurity matched with health claims. And you mentioned Medicaid. So is is this essentially being used within Medicaid, within the commercial world, and essentially within Medicare, Medicare? Yeah, we have um, Medicare managed care plans, Medicaid managed care, and, and Commercial, all commercial plans. So across the board. Then. Across the board. It, wow. It's a little, and so we're looking at how do we make potentially different bundles for different populations to engage those most effectively. But what's exciting is that the platform now exists to link folks who traditionally had to rely on grant funding. The grant money ran out and the program um, was no longer provided in that community. And when you think about culturally diverse communities across the country, those in-community, hyper-local programs that can deliver cultural competent programming and have that trust, huge engagement list and huge outcomes. So uh, you've sort of been out there a little bit quiet. 
Yeah, we've been in. You're the out now. We're out. The word's out. So where is Solera going? What do you we what should we be expecting? You know, I, I think that's really interesting because we're solely focused right now. You know, 99% of my time is spent in diabetes prevention and cardiovascular risk reduction. But once the plans realize, wow, you have a high access, low cost network as an adjunct to primary care because we're very integrated with primary care. Uh, it's can you do falls prevention? Can you can your network help us with advanced care planning? build to Medicare, can your network, can your network. And so it's really interesting that they now see us as a network. And in fact, a couple of state insurance commissions are um, regulating us now, or, or we will be considered an, an ancillary, non-credentialed uh, healthcare network. Wow. That's fantastic. So, yeah, we're excited. And um, anything else you'd like to announce here? coming on anything new coming out um well just the the website is exciting um and when will that be up it'll be up this week dpp for me me. is that for or the number four four? so dpp the number four me.com and we're excited about that and uh you'll see some announcements starting to come out in the press here in the next few weeks uh, about some of our other uh partnerships and relationships in the in the market as we continue to grow well excellent we'll have to spend a little bit of a deeper dive sometime on pop health week and get you on there and once you've made some of these new announcements that'll be great and um if people want to find out about the company where do they go uh go to www.soleranetwork.com is our website fantastic all right well it's great to have you on the show it's always great to see you brenda um it's been fascinating to watch you pivot that company and then really come out with something great it's nice to see it because i think you're making a real difference in people's lives and and helping out what we're trying to fix permission improve health so, That's thank great. You. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today. Right. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Fred. Have a great afternoon. And there you have it. That was Brenda Schmidt, CEO of Solera Health, joining us here in the booth. And we're just about wrapping up today's show. Want to thank you for joining us. I think actually we've got one more. Hello, Aaron. Fred Goldstein. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much for joining us here in the booth today. We really appreciate it. And so, Aaron, you're with uh, Relay Health. I am. Tell us a little bit about your background and also Relay Health. Sure. Uh, So my background is I've been in life sciences and healthcare for over 20 years. I started out in the pharmaceutical industry doing clinical informatics and then shifted over to healthcare. Uh, Relay Health, uh, we've been at it for since uh, we've been there for 16 years now, um, starting in patient-physician uh, engagement uh, and linking and moving into information exchange, uh, and now focusing on clinical data acquisition and aggregation to enable uh, analytics and quality improvement. So when you talk about clinical data acquisition and then using it for analytics, give us some examples of some of the things you do. Sure. So, uh, you know, we, we do the, the basics like uh, health information exchange uh, to enable access to a, a longitudinal care record for care providers, uh, some transactional work like uh, doing bi-directional orders and results, uh, making sure that when a physician orders something, we can handle the full transaction and get the information back into the chart, as well as do the interoperability on the other side with the health information uh, systems at the hospital or the uh, laboratory. Um, And then we go all the way upstream to analytics for uh, quality reporting, uh, revenue cycle, um, activity-based costing, uh, risk management, uh, episode bundling, uh, attribution, uh, Mm -hmm. 
and then down to really hardcore hospital-based uh, analytics to help hospitals optimize uh, their care. And this, at the center of all of this, and I think we're now recognizing as an industry that interoperability is a big deal. Mm -hmm. It's been something that I've been spending uh, the bulk of my time working on. Uh, and then interoperability is frankly harder than we need it to be in order to get to the outcome uh, that we're looking for. So we've been doing a lot of work in uh, both at broad industry level and work like uh, Commonwealth and the Argonaut Project and in our own work at making interoperability, uh, I want to say easier, not easy, because uh, uh, it's always, uh, as I like to call it, it's always ditch digging. Uh, it takes a lot of work. Uh, we're trying to reduce the cost of that work, uh, improve the ability to industrialize uh, those connections. And we've done you know, a good job of that. Uh, we do a significant number, 2.4 billion clinical transactions uh, a year. Wow. So a lot of data flowing through. Uh, we power uh, Commonwealth mm -hmm. uh, as a service provider. Uh, so we've, you know, we've made good strides, but it's nowhere near enough. And then uh, I've got a really health hat on. I've got a hat on representing some of the interoperability work uh, that I participated in, as I said, like Commonwealth or Direct uh, or the Argonaut Project. And then I also have a, a health information technology policy hat on. I'm the co-chair of the HIT Standards Committee, which is the federal advisory committee that advises the national coordinator on standards and certification criteria and interoperability specifications. So, you know, from a national perspective, um, trying to make sure that we are making interoperability better, faster, cheaper, um, so that we can get to the end stage. I know that that's been a big complaint in a sense, this whole question of interoperability, sure. how we pull people together. So from a policy perspective, what's happening there? How, how is it getting better? I know there's been a lot of talk about it. Yeah, one of the, one of the things that's slippery about the term interoperability uh, is that interoperability can be uh, can be achieved in the concrete, but not in the abstract. And I think the, the perceptions that people have for interoperability uh, are that it's this magic fairy dust that if you can do it, can semantically integrate any information every, anywhere, uh, anytime. What I like to say is, with respect to interoperability, we're in the best of times. It's a little bit like a tale of two cities. We're in the best of times and the worst of times. Uh, in the best of times, we have more EHR penetration and adoption than we've ever had across this country. And objectively, we have more interoperability uh, in areas like, uh, as I mentioned, orders and results, electronic prescribing, uh, transitions of care. Uh, we have a you know, use of ADT to inform uh, uh, alerting uh, for when patients show up in the ED or the hospital. These kinds of activities are at an all-time high. Uh, in some cases, they're so high that CMS, for example, removed uh, incorporation of results electronically into the EHR as a meaningful use requirement because it was topped out. Right. So this is an, this is an example of areas where interoperability is uh, is highly successful and topped out. At the same time. Uh, we believe very strongly, uh, both as McKesson and, and our national policy hat on, McKesson Really Health and our national policy hat on, that uh, we have uh, a right uh, as a country to have patients have access to 
their complete record, not just the record, their fragmented record in one system right. or another. The reality is we all receive care in primary care, specialty care, hospitals, pharmacy, long-term post-acute care, uh, and our record, our, our record is scattered across those care settings. Uh, we believe it's our right to make that complete record available for uh, care by providers, and then increasingly make that complete record available to improve health. It's funny you mention that because just this couple of weeks ago, I went in. Uh, I've got a you know a PHR through the big hospital sure. system in my community, and I've used it. It's okay, but not great. Yeah, that's right. But then. I went and got my flu shot, yep. and I got it at the clinic, you know, one of these minute clinic things. It's associated with the hospital. And so they said, by the way, you're going to have your own your record here, and that's you can right. access it. And I said, oh, that's great. So since you're with this hospital system, right. have you linked that? No. And they said, no. That's right. And I just was stunned. That's right. So so it's this weird, we're in this real time in the world where uh, we have more interoperability than we ever have before, and... Because our expectations are driven by electronic banking and finance and consumer electronics, uh, we also are more frustrated in many ways than we ever have been before. Because it, you know, we have to be honest with the health as a system, uh, as a provider system, as a develop, you know, technology developer system, we're not meeting the expectations that the U.S. healthcare system deserves. Uh, in terms of getting where we're going. But the good news is we're making a lot of progress and you know, happy to talk about that. So yeah, what excites you about it? What, what should we expect coming down the road now? Uh, we have made tremendous strides in uh, creating APIs for help in work like HL7 Fire. I mentioned the, uh, the Argonaut project. That was a, a project that you know, McKesson Relay Health was proud to sponsor and support. It's a collaboration across the large IT developers, HL7, and, and so many for those who may not know yep. what that is, could you talk a little about Absolutely. what that is? And its its goal is to enhance the development of HL7 Fire and the smart platform. And the easiest way to describe this is delivering for healthcare the same experience we have in our mobile phones, our smartphones, the the app enabled mm -hmm. uh, experience. That I've got a phone that does a bunch of things. It's my primary workflow tool, if right. you will, for communication. But I can extend it with uh, the things that I need to uh, to do, you know, pretty much anything that I want to. And uh, that's the kind of experience that we're driving in healthcare. And it's the kind of experience that drives the level of interoperability that we have in consumer electronics in our uh, large uh, service providers like Google and Facebook and Twitter and, and you have it. So we're kind of dragging healthcare, kicking and screaming into the modern era. <laughs> Good. That sounds great because we need it. Yeah. You know, and not just in this area, but in a lot of them and I, and I focus on a bunch of those, but you also was involved in a fairly substantial announcement at the White House. That's right. And uh, can you provide us some insight into that? Absolutely. So, you know, McKesson's been, I think, very proud to uh, drive patient engagement and interoperability for a long time, uh, consistent with our with our overall uh, objectives. The White House event um, is an event was an event for precision medicine, and uh, the goal here is to enable all of us as participants to be able to take our record and use it to uh, donate for research. 
the kind of research that allows us to associate our uh, genome, our gene structure, with our health outcomes. Um, and the, the program is known as Sync for Science, and uh, McKesson, along with a number of other health IT developers, uh, volunteer to make sure that our systems are interoperable out of the box uh, so that we, all of us as citizens, as participants, can make uh, that decision. Can make that decision. And what's great about it is it's exactly the same standards and interoperability that we were driving for in the Argonaut project. So we're starting to see the world come together. Uh, and it was a tremendous uh, event. Uh, the president made time out of his uh, incredibly busy schedule. And it was clear that the president knows his stuff in this area. He was supremely well informed. And uh, he, uh, he's got a large amount of passion uh, to, to drive this as one of his legacies. So it was an incredibly impressive event that we were proud to participate in. Well, this is great. I know we're coming up on the end of the hour, right. top of the hour here. But I want to thank you for stopping by. And I uh, would love to get a chance to talk to you more in depth on some of our other shows if we have an opportunity. Absolutely. Available, that would be fantastic. And uh, if people want to get in touch with Relay Health, where do they go? Well, uh, you can find us at uh, www.relayhealth.com uh, or at mckesson.com. And uh, you can uh, link to me uh, on Twitter at, at Arian Malik or at Amalek, A-M-A-L-E-C. Fantastic. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. much. And, and there you have it. It's been our first day at Hims. We apologize for a few of the little hiccups we had early on, but hopefully you've gotten a sense from us of how incredibly great this conference is from some of the fantastic people we've been able to talk to. We'll be here again tomorrow, and the schedule will be... Uh, ringtone. No, uh, uh, at uh, 11... Rasu? Rasu, uh from uh, UPMC, UPMC. David, we then Nance have David Nace at Mark Logic, and David's a, a, a great doctor. We've got Daniel
Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.